it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. And this week, I catch up with Oscar McMahon and Dan Hampton from Young Henry's. Young Henry's is one of those brands that just stands out in the Australian brewing industry. There are few breweries with a stronger brand identity or identifiable corporate culture. In terms of size, they are also one of the largest independent brands, and their presence can't just be seen on tap handles, but pub walls across the country. Perhaps because of this presence, Young Henry's is one of those brands that gets talked about, sometimes with a note of jealousy. It is one of the breweries that is perennially part of the word on the street talk of brewery sales, as well as featuring in discussion about tap contracts, private equity investment, and just about everything else. We talk about all of this and more. It's a great conversation, a long one that had to be recorded over two sessions, as you'll see. I did think of putting it out as a two-parter, but as one listener advised us, podcasting apps do have a pause button. Anyway, it's a great conversation that really gives an insight into the young Henry's approach to beer, independence, and the art of motorcycle oil maintenance. I hope you enjoy it. Dan Hampton and Oscar McMahon, Young Henry's, uh, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Welcome Thanks, to Young Henry's. Cheers. Well, mate, thank you. Like, I, I've spoken to Rich a couple of times, um, but I've never actually had uh, you both on. Dan, you never had you on in the early days of craft beer? I don't beer? know. We, um, as we were just chatting, I think we met, what was it, 15 years ago? When roughly? you were beer snobs? Yeah. So it was a long time ago, and I, don't, I think we had more informal chats, mm. um, but no, I, I, I I can't remember. There's been a lot of beers in between then now. So. <laughs> Doesn't 15 years sound a long time until last night, uh, Nail Brewing celebrated 21 years? Did wow. they really? Yeah. Wow, good yeah. on them. Wow, that's cool. I, and I was just talking to one of the guys downstairs who used to work for Murray's. Again, that must be around that era as well. Hmm. Um, Overnight sensation. <laughs> oh, yeah. We probably shouldn't talk about them on your podcast, but you know, <laughs> no, talk, we're talking about right. a brand that was huge out there for a long time and now you just don't see you know they, they they had the hype of their seasonal releases they had a mate a core range and you just don't really see them much well, anymore mate, it's, it just probably shows how bloody hard it is to keep going like it, you know make sure that you're doing stuff that you're into and therefore people will be into it's we're nine years and about to be mm. nine years and and so i get why it um there's not everyone that was around then still still pumping at that rate Plus the competitor set. Exactly. It's one thing to get to a point. It's a completely other thing to be able to hold that ground and to keep innovating, keep doing things, you know, and and that's not just through our lens. You can ask any, any brewery owner or any marketing team or brew team from any brewery, just staying in the conversation and doing things that are exciting both internally and to your customer set and to the industry, a lot of work. A lot of work goes into all of that. It's really hard to stay relevant in in an industry that you know. Dan and I were talking off mic, uh, which I hate referencing in a podcast because hmm. no one's part of that. But um, we were talking about fifteen years ago. You know, we were thinking of craft beer actually changing the market um, and being something new, and it was actually going to turn the market on its head. But in a lot of ways, the craft beer has had to change 
to fit the market that was was there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think what we're, just again to reference what we were talking about when no one was listening was um, that it did feel like pubs were starting to reduce at a good rate the percentage they were selling off to the big guys and and it felt like there was a real buoyancy and, and I think that would have intrigued a lot of possible brewers and, and got a lot of people in the market and I think what we've seen though is the big guys reacted smart to that and albeit late yeah 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 and so that's why they there was a lot of i remember when not long after we started there was a lot of pubs that were starting to 50 percent deals now really you're not hearing much less than 80 but if you are if it's a 50 then it's probably 45 45 so they're giving half and half which yep. again wasn't a thing you couldn't have half twoies and, and half cub whereas now you can and and so it's back up to being about 80 percent and it's again down to brands like ours oh, and everyone else who are fighting for those those little taps on the end. I think it's also when you come into craft beer, you get caught up in all of the innovation that happens within our industry. There is so much excitement and new product development. There's You, you could go to a, a launch of a new beer every single day of the week pretty much, especially a couple of years ago. Whereas as the market has matured, Innovation and new products are a side of the market, but then you also need core range craft products to actually be doing volume and actually, you know, eating some of that volume away from the from the bigger guys where you've got, you know, your pack ales and your Newtowners and your Grifter Pale Ales. Those beers, when they get put on into a venue, they're a really important entry level into independent craft beer from the big guys. But they're also a volume. Like that, that's the thing. You, you may make less margin on them than you do on the seasonal releases, but it's a volume game. Well, I actually think that, yeah, I guess like so, sort of if you're looking at it sort of like pound for pound, but the amount of effort and energy behind the scenes that goes into releasing a new product into the marketplace mm. if you were to put that same amount of effort into one of your core range products it would pay dividends in 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 long-term sales yeah. you know yep. we, that's that's our biggest challenge i think we've worked through that a fair bit over the last couple of years i think we started to neglect um new products the brewers were starting to get a bit bored of only doing newtowner and and stayer and stuff like natural lager um, the the marketing team wanted something else, and I think we also started to drift away from the conversation of craft. And we didn't intentionally do that. We just we were just holding on, to watching Newtowner go crazy, and and holding on to it, and not wanting to not talk about it because it, we were so proud of how many people were enjoying it, and and how it was crossing over into different demographics. And so we really enjoyed that. But we've recently. In the last couple of years, we started B-sides. So we've got the, the weird and wacky stuff that the brewers get to kind of mess around with and, and gives our sales guys something different to talk about. But then I think you've got to get the volumes right because otherwise it's sitting around and it's, there's, it's such a competitive market. So, geez, again, nine years on, we definitely don't know everything, do we? <laughs> it's been really fun releasing things like the brewers B-sides because obviously – when we do a national release like Motorcycle Oil um, or the Rolling Stone Hazy that we're about to release, 
they're big projects. They is, take, is that a licensed? Um, it's a collaboration with Rolling Stone magazine. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Rolling Stone magazine. Yeah, okay. that's yeah, what yeah. I thought. I thought Oscar got onto the I, Rolling I, Stones. He's made a band, and I, I thought, was, finally, <laughs> when's the Red Hot Chili Peppers one going? I've always wanted to make a beer, yeah. <laughs> See, he's here. I knew he was yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so, so, yeah, yeah. All right, so. Mick. All right, we'll talk to you later on. <laughs> sorry. So the B sides when we released them, it it actually culturally was really important. In that we have got a we've got a beer series that we're less concerned about the sort of commercial side of it, and I know that that sounds ridiculous, but it's a lot more. It's it's fun. It's about engagement. It's about engaging with our customers. But that's where the commercial. That's what I was going to say. It's, it's got a commercial element, but not necessarily that balance sheet one. But it's no, more about correct. that relevance. Keeping staff involved. Exactly, which which has huge values, but. They are sort of, if you build it, they will come sort of yeah. values. Like you can't plan for that to happen. Yep. And it was it was a really nice thing for us just deciding to do that. And every time we've done a B-side, it, it's grown, it's grown, it's grown. I think, I don't actually know what number we're up to now. I think it's around eight or nine. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think it's the third can. Third in cans. Yeah, yeah. That, was a bit, that was a big bit of feedback. We were just doing longies. Um, and Hard to sell longies these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's funny. Think about it logistically and um, if you think about bottle shops having limited space and so many options for craft beer, they can fit so many more shelves if they're all cans. And that's a huge argument for bottles as well. Yeah, 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 that's right. And so, Do you know we can fit 30% more liquid onto a pallet of cans than we can a pallet of bottles? Really? And then the bottle shops are just extrapolating that out and going, well, then I can fit way more unique products in my store if I only do cans, which is, I reckon, a huge part of it. And I'm sure the US were part of why the US sort of really got behind it. When we first went into cans, man, it was impossible to sell. Yeah. Like really legitimately, yeah. you know? We first went into cans about like what, I think six years ago? Yeah, yeah. Sounds sounds yeah. about right. And it was, people were just, nah, nah, my customers aren't going to buy that. Yeah. yeah. And it's really interesting to to see how, like how hard it was for a little while and then now it's just well the reverse is true you almost have to have beer in cans for yeah absolutely a lot of we still do Newtowner in bottles it's the only bottle we do but we don't sell much why is yeah. that so so why stick with it oh uh, is, well, is there a market that yeah okay. there's still it still sells enough to justify it if it stops being so we will stop doing it um we actually in in What's today? Monday's sales meeting, we were talking about the fact that a few of our biggest um, stubby customers have moved to cans. So it does feel like, I think someone brought up the fact that if someone is is selling over a certain amount of volume of bottles, they have to have a bottle crusher or something which is expensive. And so that might even be the straw that breaks the camel's back on potentially yep. uh, but anyway we'll, we'll just we just monitor it and like the the sad death of real ale one of our first products a favorite internally it just wasn't selling you've got to you've got to listen to your consumers sometimes and, you have to eat and, your children yeah 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 <laughs> and with that one we were literally minimum runs were starting to give us three four months stock and we're going that's not cool that, that's gonna result in some old beer and yeah and real ale particularly didn't like being old um, so we had to ditch it. It was sad. It was, um, but maybe Newtowner Stubbies will do the same thing. And we we watch with interest, and we know the guys well at Stone and Wood, and we know that they went the other way as well. They went very heavy bottles, and then they were quite reluctant. It seemed like to do 
tinnies, and so I don't know how that's going. I think they were, potentially they were a bit more established with bottles than we were with Newtowner. So, but it's just interesting. We you try um, to get dual range. That's your aim in retail. <laughs> if you can get for all occasions, here have stubbies <laughs> if you want that. Have can, and we still have a little bit with um, a little bit of dual ranging here and there. Not much. It actually goes well. You don't completely cannibalize the cans. Yep. So that was an interesting learning. Um, but most are not going to give you two facings of one skew. Yeah, and it, look, it's just one of those things that I endlessly discuss. You know, um, I've got nothing against cans, but I'm of a generation that grew up in bottles yeah. and cans were the, you know, cricket, you know, yeah. it was a thing that you had because you had to have it. But yeah. bottles um, and the feel of glass and even just decanting, you know, pouring a bottle into a glass as opposed to a can into a glass yeah. Is different. And Feels different. That's for when sure. When I do corporate yeah. tastings, pulling out a can to pour yep. into a wine glass, just like yeah, it, yeah, it just yeah. accentuates yeah. the <laughs> the um, dissonance between yep. between the two. It'd be just like coming out with a you know as good as casks are yeah. for wine, coming out with a goon, goon sack, yep. which is a perfectly acceptable way to store wine. Totally. But there's just an elegance and a and a thing about it. Absolutely, yeah. and that's why you know opera bar. At, you know, down near the Opera House. Yep. You give them a really good deal on Corona cans. They're not swapping out for bottles, <laughs> are they? Yeah. It's like there are just there are certain products and certain occasions where certain vessels actually make sense, um, and that is actually they have Newtowner stubbies. <laughs> do, yeah, yeah. There you go. Do. Perfect They're example. They're one of the very few. There you go. Perfect okay. example. Yeah. So it, you know, there are people that different vessels. Different products, they are attached to different occasions, you know? Which is fascinating because going back to 15 years ago when Dan was running Beer Snobs and I was doing Beer Mat and it was the very early days of craft beer and it wasn't just the beer that was different. Part of the narrative is we're going to drink differently, you know, drink less, drink better. There was education in a glass. um, And, you know, not the Instagram, this this was pre-Instagram, so it's not just about drinking in a butt plug shaped yeah, you know, yeah. glass to yeah. sort of showcase your you know that you're down with the latest glass styles it was actually there's an it image does. you're never going to get out of your mind yeah <laughs> makes you feel like an ipa funnily enough. <laughs> for a hard-earned yeah. um <laughs> um I, I, I know what you're saying about the drink better idea. I never heard the memo about the drink less. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I reckon there's no, a few other people in the oh, beer industry that didn't yeah, you, hear that. You're right, either. the poor. No, you're right. And think back then it was... There was um, a culture there, around... There was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't yeah. just slurping back beers That's at the right. cricket. That's it was right. actually getting... you know, And both of our companies then were about white tablecloth and yep. getting beer and food matching and all of those things that are sort of still there in the periphery. Yeah. But they never actually changed the industry. But do you know that that, like my view on that is, that is a contrast. That is a movement against what beer was in most people's yep. opinions at that, at that time. Yep. It needed to be elevated. It needed to almost be shockingly different. One of the things that, like in the early days of Young Henry's, we would never have, um, we would never have sponsored a sports team. Because we were defining what craft beer meant to us. Yep. So it was all about music, community, art, right? But a sporting team, only the big breweries sponsor yeah, sporting teams. Exactly. Yeah. So 
we had to be the opposite yeah. while we were defining what what our version of craft beer was. And then now that we we are a defined company and people know that we are more than just this, yeah, we, we quite happily partner with the Newtown Jets and the South Sydney Rabbitohs and all of our people. That's not that's not clashing or people are like, yeah, of course, they're your local teams. You like that makes sense. But in those early days, you had to be the antithesis of what beer marketing and the big breweries were doing. Is it a relief in a business sense that we pass that? Because you Absolutely. get a lot of volume and a lot of presence yeah. from those. You know, so commercially, it's an imperative. But if you're fighting against that perception, it can harm you as, as much. Absolutely. Oh. Look at Gage doing the, yeah, um, the footy stadium, the footy stadium mm-hmm. deal. Yeah. That's great for craft yeah. beer. Yeah, and I think you know, early days well, it, it was a lot of legwork. Yeah, yeah. Well, which is ironic because it's it's great for craft beer, and it always would have been great for craft beer, except for the limit. We limited it. I yes. mean, the the market limited it by. It would have been the wrong time to improve craft beer at that in, in, in that way. The same, and I guess that is a form of marketing. Really, I, I, I can't imagine they make shitloads of money off that deal. But it's like now when you look at. Um, when you look at billboards, you look at bus shelters. There's now craft like, and we were what we do paste ups um, where we can, and and then. But I'm stoked that there's some brands that have led the way and done that because it it um it sort of levels the playing field a bit. They're really expensive, and so it's not that there's not many independent beer companies that can afford to do those kind of things. But but there are some that are selling the amount and have the the broad distribution that we need to be supporting the retailers that are supporting us and and sometimes that is that can be a simple way to do it so i think from a marketing sense as well but even think about how much ground like legwork it took in the early days to not do mass marketing or not do um what what was normal or what was expected oscar and i went along and spoke at the sydney symphony orchestra vanguard event because we're trying to we're trying to bring culture to beer and and beer to culture and and which is one of our sort of um, I guess part of our statement of values and and so we're <laughs> Oscar and I are there everyone's dressed up very differently to, to Oscar and I but the the orchestra actually put music to our tasting notes of a few different um, beers of ours oh wow like Newtown and Natural Lager and something else and and they got us to go and speak and to be honest we were a little bit nervous so um, we had a few beers beforehand <laughs> and then we went and had a few beers there and and our our when I'll blame Oscar learn? too because he's worse at swearing than I am. I, I think I had kids sooner, so I put the brakes on it better. But um, but then we they got up and we spoke about it. And we were a bit pissed, but quite excited and excited to be there and, and have the opportunity to speak to this kind of crowd. And I still this this lady came up afterwards and said, "Oh my god, that was amazing! This is so different from what we're used to. Um, sounds like you got a great company. We loved your product, and I love that you don't care how much you swear." And we're like, "Oh my god, what did we say? I don't even." Remember. <laughs> Remember what I said that uh, I, I blame Oscar. It was definitely my fault. Yeah, but that was the that was part of what was really exciting about um, about those early days is that it felt like, and I'm not just talking about Young Henrys. I'm talking yep. it's probably your experience and the experience of many other craft brewers and people in the industry. You weren't just having a conversation around why this beer is good. You actually had to do an education piece on why craft beer in the first place, mm. which is a really interesting thing to reflect on. Because now, if we if we go to a beer event or you 
go to a pub, I mean, there are like permanent sour taps in pubs now. You know, like like a rotational sour tap. Yeah, that just shows how educated the marketplace is now. That people will choose. Oh no, we can't go there. They don't have a sour tap at the moment. You know, or <laughs> yeah. like, 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 like yeah. only one IPA on tap. Oh, really? Come on. Although, is and this is one that I might pitch to Dan because both in 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 those days, the the, the beer snobs was about educating people, and you know, you did the the, the beef and, and beers, yeah. and um, you probably did the same thing I did. You'd have the malts out so yeah, people yeah, could yeah. taste the malts, yeah. and so when you're having a dark beer, you have to taste that. Um, I did a tasting at Parliament House just trying to get the idea and people understand the idea of craft beer and you still get a lot of the old guard going, oh, mate, what have you got that's not fruity? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They don't know whether it's a pale ale, they don't know whether it's an IPA or anything like that. True. They've got a sense of taste. So do you think that the level of knowledge about the product itself has changed in line with the way that people's tastes for what beer is has changed? Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think it really depends on. That's a hard one to generalise. I think it's there's certainly pockets all around, um, predominantly capital cities that are very. Can I say woke? I've always wanted to use woke. Beer woke shows I'm not. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, but I think there's definitely areas where you know they they will know styles. They they will know what they're getting themselves into. But I still I think I think it's more to do with um, an awareness of the difference between mainstream or, or, or owned by line of CUV style versus independent. I think that's quite a bit better known. Um, and so, and I think everyone knows pale ales. Um, I, but I don't think to that, I don't think what we were doing back then in going through all the different styles, I actually still don't think that the majority of people no, or or actually probably give a shit because they don't need to. It's now a lot easier and accessible. They don't need to be as educated. They can kind of just it's there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I tend to seek out. I, there are enough people who want to play in the pointy end of craft beer because it's 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 the coolest space to be. And I, I always step back. So the, the the sort of tastings that I love doing are the ones where the number one question is, "What's the difference between an ale and a yeah, lager?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas I get incredibly intimidated if I'm at a tasting, and they'll sort of start going, "Do you reckon that this uh, ale yeast, you know, number, uh, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. is better than this?" I don't know. I'm not a brewer. I always say when we're hiring sales staff, our, our sales team is made up of hospo staff mainly. Yep. And um, we we found that you can't teach people to be a good person who likes to have a chat whereas you can teach people about all the other stuff so we've we've based our whole hiring policy not just i mean like if they're brewers they kind of need to know how to brew although we'll teach most of them anyway <laughs> marketing you know it's but for sales in particular it's the who can go and have a have a good chat but what i do say is when someone comes into an interview and they talk about how much they know about beer it's awesome but I always say to him, you're going to be so disappointed how infrequent you get to use that knowledge. It's when you're selling beer, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they do not give a shit about what's in it. They don't. Or, or the person don't. that you're selling to has enough knowledge that they're actually it's like, yeah, yeah, I, I know how beer is made. What I'm talking about is, do you have a beer that is a missing style from my tap bank? Is it a good price? And do you does your brand have enough cut through that my customers are going to enjoy How it? How are you going and to support it adds the value? Through. Exactly. Yeah. 
That's the conversation. Which is, you know, the, the, the craft beer business, it's, as I've said a couple of times, it's used to be the craft beer business. These days, it's the craft beer business. Yeah. Exactly. And that's where all the hard work comes in. It's like making a great beer, that's one thing. Getting good packaging and a good decal, cool, awesome. Stick that on tap in a venue and how do people know that it's good? You have to do so much activity to actually allow people to be aware of your brand and to at least try it and whether that's for them or whether it's not. You know, like you still need to go through that trial mechanism with everyone within the in the marketplace and you've got to do that every time you release a new product. That thing we were talking about before, the balance between the core range and the limited release. You know, you can spend a lot of you can spend a lot of energy on the churn and burn of limited release without actually getting any significant volumes. Because if you've got a sales team of say ten people, and you have got a customer base of two hundred venues, and you release three beers in three months, it was my understanding there would be no math. <laughs> <laughs> Your sales team needs to see as many of those customers to set up the sale, to actually make sure it's work and then get the new one. Like there is so much work involved in actually getting arranging and then you've got to support it once it's actually in venue to make sure it's pulling through. It's fucking tricky. (laughs) You make a really good point. One of the things that when I stand back as a very interested observer of the industry and you sort of see breweries that come and go and the ones that stick and you sort of start seeing some common threads between you know, column A and column B, and you, you, you look at Young Henry's and you've got, you know, for, for, a, for the size, a fairly large sales force. Um, you've got a lot of in-venue support and activity, and then you've also got very well-priced product. And I've always noticed that, you know, you can, some, you can have, be really strong in one, you know, have a bit of the second, but you can't have all three and still make money. Um, you know, what? How, how does Young Henry's... Uh, make uh, money? We don't. Well, uh, no, no, no. It's, fun. No, it's a great yeah, question. And are, you making, like, are you making a good return? Obviously, you're not going backwards. Yeah, no, no. And, and obviously, can't sort of go too deep other than to say our focus has always I, I, I been I ask for growth. the books. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you go get the CFO? Bring Glenn over here. Loves a podcast. Um, so the answer is we have always focused on growth. So we've, Oscar and I are um, shareholders. We've never had dividends. Um, there's there's two main ways you can you can run a business like this. You could either make it really profitable by all the things you said you could cut down a couple of those. Um, we've kind of thought about this in let's just keep growing and growing. We saw an opportunity. We saw a window and um, and the window remained, but it but there was all of a sudden a lot of people next to us, behind us. And so we thought we can't slow down now. Um, so we just had to keep going, keep going, keep going. And what we've done over nine years is got smarter with certain things. And so really it comes down to lots of little things and lots of little ways to save money because what you said, everything you just said then is absolutely spot on. We've, and I think we over index in a lot of areas and, and you're right. What, unless the worst would have been if we did all that and we didn't get to the volume we've got to and we see the, the, we see now some, 
some clean air. I, there's there's stone and wood who are more than double us. There's I don't even know if there's genuinely anyone between stone and wood and us. There might be Gage, might be or there might be someone else, but that's there's a big gap between them and us. And then there's a bit. There's not heaps just on our tail. Then there's a shitload. And and so we kind of go, okay, I think we made the right decision by powering ahead and reinvesting every single dollar that comes in, making sure the branding's right. We've had a couple of changes to that as we've learned, understood the retail market better. People, we've invested in people. People buy people. And whenever I speak to other brands who try and lean on wholesalers, or like no, if they've got... 500 beers to sell why the hell are they going to sell your beer so we've never ever relied on other people to sell our beer we have great relationships with wholesalers but we don't expect them to go and actively sell our product we just like having that as a as a way that make it easier for consumers to to buy our product so it's it's a great point i you know at some point we might feel that we're at the point that we can probably take the foot off the pet, I doubt it, but we might <laughs> see that we're in a position where we can do that and start to try and um, pay dividends to to shareholders. That might be something. It's it's doesn't it's not what you know doesn't get Oscar and I pumped. So I think also we decided to we decided to grow because we were growing. We we in the early few first few years we were really lucky to be experiencing phenomenal organic growth. With, without any marketing budget or any marketing focus, really, honestly. Um, and as we, as we reinvested and grew the brewery and you know, started taking marketing more seriously, um, we, we also, as a set of directors and shareholders, we made an agreement that growth is only acceptable if we're doing it in the way, in the Young Henry's way. So, yeah, like Dan said, everything has been self-funded. Um, you know, our our marketing spend is a is a percentage of it's a percentage of revenue like any other company. Um, and as as volume has increased year on year, we've just well, do we want to go again? Do we want to go again? This is working. This is working. And you know, yeah, you have issues and you have ups and downs. And as our industry continues to increase in double digit as a percentage every year. Then surely, surely, as a craft beer company within that industry who is experiencing growth, surely you should keep riding that wave as long as you can. And then you know, yeah, like, yeah, if you focus on profit or you know dividends or too too early on, you sort of clip your own wings a little bit. Whereas if you if you can build a bigger company, you are then in a really interesting position to turn around and say, well. What are the costs? And, you know, it's, it's been a real growth uh, thing for us as people. Um, starting with a small business and we're now running a national business. And uh, one of the things that you don't really, you don't think about when you're getting into a business, like the understanding of scaling a brewery up is simple, right? you need more money, you put in some more tanks. There's a couple of ways you can get money. You can ask people for it or you self-fund it. Cool, no worries. That's how you scale up a business. You forget that you actually need to scale yourselves up at the same time. So the Dan and Oscar from nine years ago 
are completely different to the Dan and Oscar sitting here today. I'm 15 kilos heavier. Yeah. <laughs> My beard's grey. Yeah, yeah. Because we've, the whole time, having to be scaling up ourselves. And that's the other part of this industry, which is difficult, is the personal stuff, the weight of running a bigger company, the weight of having so many staff, the weight of um, some of the financial risks when you decide to do something, you know, innovative. Uh, all of that can be really difficult and trying to have a family on the side and trying to actually have work-life balance. You a family on the side as well. <laughs> <laughs> and Tell it's Jess. a hard industry to balance, like, anything outside of. Completely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, this is one of those hard questions because you, you, there are a lot of people outside of the industry who look at Young Henrys and say they've been able to do it and it's been the money that came in and it's been referred to me as the chicken money, the <laughs> private equity uh, money or chicken, you know, yeah. just investors, you know, yeah. someone who's been quite, quite. So, so tell me about that. You know, what was the, the background of that? Because it's one of those things that's always talked about in the it's background. Funny. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's really simple and it's been massively positive and, and we – and we don't shy away from talking about it either because it's it's awesome. Maybe it's, it's just not, no one asks. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Yeah. It's true. I love it. Everyone talks yeah, about it, but yeah, no one yeah, asks. Yeah, yeah. Ross from Stanwood, <laughs> if you're listening, yeah, he always <laughs> he always says out of the chicken guys. I love it. Oh, okay, no, it, yeah. it wasn't him. Oh, I was, oh, I'm not dubbing, no, 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 no. It's funny. Um, so about sort of to speak to the point we we're just talking about, we realised we were onto something. Um. Newtowner in particular, but also a lot of the things that make up a good brand, we realized, hold on, we're starting to tick a few of these and and didn't want to take our foot off um, the pedal. So we realized we needed to get some more money, get some capital in to um, grow and, and do what we wanted to do. So we put it out there and the the guys who, it was basically a family office called RGT that they, um, they came and met us. We got them extremely drunk and tricked them into <laughs> investing. Um, this is what they say. Um, but basically we met, I like that it's a family office and to tell the truth, I didn't know what a family office was at this time. The difference between private equity money and okay. family office money is, is that a family office is a few families that invest together. Yep. Um, whereas private equity is usually super funds and yeah. super funds and there's a much more, um, there's a heightened level of governance yeah. with, with any investment yeah. from private equity. Whereas yep. a family office, it can be a lot more. Well, it could go either way. Yeah. So the fact is, if the families yeah. are shit, it's a, a worse deal, I would say. If, but if yeah. it's the family, oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> then, it's not then you the end up family. with the horse heads. Um, but horse but heads. Ben Ingham's one of the guys from um, the Ingham. Okay, so that's yeah, where the chicken that's where money the comes chicken from. Family. Okay. Ben's a Ben's a legend. He comes in here all the time. He, he's so he's he's excited. He loves what we do. But from the absolute outset, there was uh, some rules set to say that yes, they come on board and invest money to help us grow. But it's our journey. Um, and, and this isn't just us dictating to them either. Um, Oscar and I aren't like that in particular. It, it was it was us getting together and go. And, and they can see that A, Oscar and I are really still involved and and love what we're doing and are learning. And the, and, and look, the, the business is, is successful in growth. So therefore, they are happy to, to you know, come along for this ride they've got other investments as a family um so that's fine it's not like they're going hey come on come on we need to wrap this up um so you look i'm i'm sure if it was 30 years down the track they might go all right guys maybe it's time to wrap this up <laughs> can, I don't can know, but, about money uh, yeah yeah <laughs> it's but but it's been a really good experience for us so so i'm sure that could go 
bad. But Oscar and Definitely. I in particular work really well together. We we will always agree. Adam, who's the head of RGT, who works closely with us, um, we, the three of us in particular, and then, and then Rich as well, we make all the decisions and we we come at it from different angles and it works. It's it's a it's definitely something that's worked for for young Andrews. You can find money anywhere. Like really, if you've got if you've got a business that is doing well and is growing, you can and in an industry that is inherently attractive. That's exactly absolutely. You can you can find money, no problems. But if it's about finding the money that has either the skill set or the right mentality that suits you as as people running the business as well. I mean, I was talking about us scaling up as people before. They have been massively supportive of both of us on that journey. Have been really, really helpful. They have put in they've put in money and they've loaned us money when we've needed yeah. needed it as a business. On that bit there, can I say I think that's the bit where it's that's we've been a bit protected in that I see certain brands that sell and they say um, the reason I sold is we'd we'd got in a bit of financial trouble or something like that. I, I guess the good part of of having the kind of relationship we have, if we really need something to get through a you know a quarter, we can like borrow a bit to pay back. Um, whereas if someone doesn't have that scenario and the bank won't lend the money, that might be. Uh, a, a point in the sort of road where they have to sell. We don't have that. Um, but but again, we haven't had to do it very often, but it's there. So I guess it gives us the freedom to just keep trusting our gut and keep because so far it's kind of worked. So we just keep charging at things like that. But they, you know, they're always there to soundboard, which is awesome. So what is the, <laughs> this is a question I ask, not expecting. The, the full answer, but you know, what is the succession or exit strategy um, for either that money or you know, a, a, as as a business, um, you know, or, or do you just want to keep growing? At, at some point, do you just sort of say, well, we do need to pay ourselves a dividend and our shareholders, or you know, um, no doubt you've had people coming knocking, wanting to look over the books with a view to buy. You know, what, what what's when you talk about it? What is the the, the, the plan. Well, the awesome thing is that at this point in time, we don't actually have a hard and fast exit strategy. We don't. We've just signed another lease for for Newtown, and we are looking at a couple of different options for where we go to next. As in, what will be what will be our future? We look at Coopers as probably the the possibility. So um, first we look at Stone and Wood and go, wow, they're double us. And we're working so hard and they're double us. But they're, what, six years older maybe. So we, we, we think that, you know, above 20 million litres is, is possible. Then we look at Coopers who are at 80 million litres and think, wow, like we've got daughters. I'd love to see, you know, my two daughters and Oscar's daughter running this company one day. Like that's. Do you think they it, want to? Because that was one of the things that Brendan Varus cool. said um, yeah. when when he made the decisions. That he had all of the stress, and from having that rapid scale up, and when he looked around, he just knew his daughter didn't want to take. You know, so my daughter's kind of like, six and four, and, and so it's my yeah. daughter's two and a half. Yeah. Okay. Like, she, so we got a bit of time. We got a bit of time. She, right? she loves the glowing algae tanks. Yeah, 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 yeah Everyone yeah. loves the glowing yeah, algae yeah, tanks. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Henry, photo, photogenic thing in craft beer. Maybe right? Henry, Rich's son. He, he's probably the closest to it. So it's um, yeah. Look, I, I think we look at sometimes you can get really stuck thinking where's the next. 
tap going to come from? Where's the next ranging? Where's the next million liters going to come from? But then you look further afield and go, oh, there's a there's huge runway here. Um, and I think it's healthy to think like that sometimes because if you bo- get bogged down too much on the, the little tiny incrementals all the time, you're not thinking big picture and, and you're not ex- exploring things like collaborations with Rolling Stone magazine and things like that because you're thinking too little. And so, yeah, I'd, I'd love to think, yeah, look, that's, that's all we know at, at this point. It's, um, the, the market, we've just been riding this wave and, and yeah, haven't made any big long-term calls. I have to ask, because you famously did the video with the, um, the, the cards that was riffing off, uh, I think it's about Dylan. Where, yeah, where, well, and then in excess also, so in excess ripped off Bob Dylan and, you know, <laughs> you, know you, uh, paid a homage to both of them. Um, I think just keep digging stupid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You'll get out. <laughs> um, uh, but when you nail your colors to the mast that we're not going to sell, we are independent. And obviously, you felt the need to come out and make that positive statement. But did, does that then close a door and makes it hard for you to, if, if, if there was that desire or you changed your mind later? I think that what we were dealing with at that point in time was a bunch of, a bunch of people making, basically making false accusations and making negative rumors that were affecting us in the marketplace. That reached a fever pitch where... I was speaking to the licensee of a venue over the bar as we were losing a tap because he had it on good authority that we'd just sold. And it's just when you have had none of the upside <laughs> of a sale where you get distribution support, you your life changes financially and all of that, but you're having to deal with the negative side in the marketplace and so many people within our sales team were having a really hard time because these rumors were so rife. This is going back about four years. Mm. That it actually got to a point where we just sort of had to say, without calling people out and naming names, just saying, hey, do you know what? This is actually bullshit. Like, why do we have to cop all the negative? It's like, if someone else is using us in their sales pitch then, hey, we're doing something right. Yeah, and that's what it was. I mean, it was a miscommunication. We were, we were contract brewing at Asahi. Yep. And, and so I think there's a few wires crossed. At, at Leverton as, as Mountain Goat and a number of other breweries yeah, had. Yeah, yeah. And, and so and at that time, I think there was just a few wires crossed as to what that was going to look like. That's all. And so, but, it, you know, we hear every bloody week that we've been sold and Oscar and I keep checking our bank accounts and we have not been sold. And <laughs> we so, actually, yeah. best, best rumor is that we bought Jamison. Yeah, yeah, that would be sick. Well, actually, on that, um, you were also associated during the demerger of CUB that you'd been um, associated with sniffing over, picking up those brands. Was there any truth to that? Because I've actually heard it positively quoted, not just rumor quoted. A couple of people were pretty interested in creating a collective with some of those brands and a couple of people did reach out to us. Look, we're always open to hearing these kind of things because if nothing else, you get to learn a little bit more about the industry. Oh, when I'm yeah. reading about the, in the AFR, like that's that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, going, yeah. Well, I remember the, yeah, 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 we, yeah, yeah. It, it, that's, yeah. That's one, again, like I remember the first time I saw a craft beer t-shirt in the wild, you know, like not yeah, at a beer festival, yeah, yeah, but walking in a shopping center. And when you start reading about craft brewers yeah. taking over, you know, it, it's yeah. actually a really cool thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, and again, those kind of things get brought to us and, um, 
and we always find it's interesting to kind of yeah to, to kind of see things for what they're worth remember but. that this was happening during the pandemic mm. so the amount of other conversations that were happening between brewers and it was a very interesting time a lot of people were changing their mindset and being a lot more open-minded about what the future might hold a lot of different people were being a little bit more not not protectionist but sort of i guess um protectionist being sort of like how i would describe as a more insular mindset whereas being more a little bit more survivalist and saying yeah, well hang yeah. on a second maybe maybe it is actually better if it's not just me going alone and there were a lot of different conversations happening that um a couple of them if they'd have actually come to fruition would have been some really exciting industry changing shit you know um because that's what america's done there's a, there's a we, we were gonna go to america and um just to go speak to a bunch of brewers that have been where we're at now because then what, this what, thing ha- called covid 19 yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> i still wanted to go but oscar was being paranoid about this thing that we we said you're being a weirdo from newtown being paranoid and then all of a sudden he was very right 12 COVID months ago we, we were all having those discussions yeah, yeah, am i being okay yeah. am i just over over dramatizing oscar was an early adult yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, made us look very stupid. Do you know what it was? I was watching SBS News. And this is like January. Yeah, and there was a in in Milan, I think it was, they forced all the coffee shops to close. And that was just this light bulb. I was yeah. like, holy shit, if they're closing coffee shops in Italy, they're <laughs> yeah. going to close pubs in Australia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. I came in the next day and I was yeah. like, this is going to be bad for we us. laughed at him And they were like, you know, mate, yeah. calm down. Yeah, no, no, and it was so. So we were going to go to America and speak to a bunch of um, craft beer companies that have been through the phases that we're at now because there isn't many. Well, there's not many here in Australia. So, so we we were looking to over there. We we're so excited. We ended up doing a few zooms. Um, but one thing that came up a bit was the collective idea, and 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 it's a good idea. It's it, it hasn't happened. We're not actively looking at that now it was just as oscar said there was a few people talking about similar sort of thing and then i think the stellar and and those kind of then that happened so it was kind of like i think it all kind of got yep. lumbered together okay. but our, what we were kind of thought would be cool was teaming up with a few like-minded breweries and but it's um i think maybe it was just covid talk it's interesting hey we haven't thought about that in a while and we just got back to doing what we do. You've inspired, I actually want to go around and do a round of interviews now that are going to be the basement tapes, you know, yeah, so yeah, just yeah. for the vault, not yeah. for publication now. So I can but bring it out later. A contemporaneous record of uh, yeah. some of these conversations because it sounds fascinating. It, yeah. and, and it was. It was, it was, a, it was a, a time where everyone in the world was reassessing their values, reassessing their lives, you know, um, trust Australia to go through an international pandemic and still see an increase in the property market <laughs> because what was yeah, important to people was actually locking down yeah. their their house, their domestic sort of, you know, sanctuary. Well, yet to know what the backlash, you know, with, with record low interest rates, yeah. high property prices, you know, yeah, the jury's still out on where we're going to be in a couple oh, of years' yeah. time of and course. what we're going to be talking about this period. And we were so lucky to have been able to take advantage of the excessive case buys. Um, <laughs> there was brands similar to ours or sort of 
you know, we kind of look at it. You've got you've got mainstream and corporate craft, and then you've got a little bracket there of pub craft. It's kind of we we say, and then crafty craft. But it was like it was the pub craft market that went bananas in retail. Um, and, and we were we're lucky. We've got pretty good distribution. Um, and so that was that sort of once that kicked in, it sort of did help. Obviously, kegs like everyone, kegs just dropped off and are not back yet. It um, sucked. It sucked for a long time. First though. I really wanted to talk about your culture. I want to and yeah. some and some of those things. So uh, I'm happy to make this two part. We can yeah, pause yeah, yeah. it. Let's do that. Welcome back to the same conversation, guys. Uh, you know, uh, yesterday we had to leave very very quickly to go to the launch of uh, uh, motorcycle oil. Um, it's kind of like a a launch to core range yeah which is sort of a funny thing it's it was more a party about hey this beer is um not going anywhere <laughs> which is kind of cool well but and, and, and it is and actually there are a lot of things i want to talk about but let's talk about the motorcycle oil first of all because core range you know a hoppy porter isn't in you know the, the hype beers at the moment it seems an interesting one to add um and a lot of brewers don't have a core range stout or porter so is it the young henry's brand is it the beer is it the name that has seen it really i think it's actually it, it was originally a winter winter release so it was very much it was it was originally just a one-off winter release as well so it was that very seasonally focused, um, didn't want it to be too heavy, wanted it to be sort of light drinkable, not so much hop characteristic that it, it's a black IPA. And everyone liked it to the point where we were getting taps. People were actually keeping it on tap, not just as a rotator, but they were actually keeping it on for the winter period. So we did it again the next the next year. I think it really got cut through because it's a, a sessionable dark beer and it's it sort of is quite in theme with the young Henry's brand visual. Um, and I guess the other thing is that being a beer with a theme, it sort of actually lends itself really nicely to marketing campaigns and to point of sale. Um, and it was a really funny thing. Like it was actually called motorcycle oil. We actually made that beer as a farewell beer Um when one of our mates, a licensee called Jake, was leaving the hospitality industry, and he rode a big black motorcycle, and so he came in for a for a brew, and we were literally going to do a brew with him that he could have on in, in his pub for the last month um, that he was in the hospitality industry. So it was, you know, it, it kind of it wasn't it wasn't a construct of a marketing plan or anything like that. It was really this sort of simple, friendly thing, and it. Everyone just loved it so much that we did it again and we did it again and and look now it's just it it's it suits the brand it actually does really good volume and because it's not a hype beer yeah there aren't that many say. dark beers in the market That's, so that, yeah, exactly. when people are looking for one it's one that people go to but you see really good classic styles just disappear and one of the ones I hear so much about is if you have you know Bolter Pilsner gone uh slipstream pilsner gone and when you ask them about it they say oh, look you know i don't know i just think people don't know what a pilsner is and yeah. you're going well if you called it another thing do you think it would sell and, and that's why i wonder if this had just been young henry's porter or hoppy porter would that have you know sold as well as motorcycle yeah, oil? interesting I, um, probably, probably not yeah it's, yeah i guess we never know but i think the um 
Let's I think, do some A/B testing on that, shall we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, look, I just think that I think the two main reasons it went well, though, are the fact that there aren't many permanent dark beers in the market. So I think timing is a good one because if you bring it out at the right time, you secure a, a few taps. If someone's going to lock away a dark tap for for the season, so so we were managed to time it right to get a few of those. Um, then there was the familiar, familiarity because it was coming back, um, and it's sessionable. Um, so I think we've picked up a few twoies old taps. So you know that's still a cracking old beer. And, and so I think um, there was there was a market for a modern version of that. It's a really interesting thing that you said before, like talking about hype beers and that it's not it, it that it's not necessarily like the style du jour, right? Mm. Craft beer is supposed to be an alternative. However, we become sort of a monoculture because of trends everyone you know we're everyone was doing sours we're all individuals everyone's the whole craft beer was a rebellion against the monoculture of mm. lager and yet it's forming its own monocultures exactly to the point where our hop producer hpa they contacted us recently and um Cascade oh, is one of the hops. Good in- supporters of ours. Thank you for name checking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, they're they're, fan- they're they're a fantastic company. We um, do a lot with them. They're awesome people, and they came to us and they said, "Look, how important is Cascade to you guys? We we um we don't have enough demand. We're thinking of not planting it. It's like Cascade." Yeah, that was the original. Like, it felt like when we got into craft, Cascade was the the hop. It, it was the hop. Yeah, in yeah. it, 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 little creatures. Yeah, that's right. was yeah, In yeah, fact, yeah. I spoke to Ross Gosling uh, last week and talked about because they've used a blend of Australian, and he described Australian Cascade as the Kate Blanchett of Cascade, <laughs> and the American Cascade was a Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> right. So yeah, so he, he sort of said there's a real difference between the two, right. and that they, you know, it's really important to them. Exactly, yeah. and I mean, Cascade is one of the one of the three hops in Newtowner. So we were like, no, please, <laughs> please plant it. And it was a really interesting thing that they're like, cool, no problems. We'll plant it for you. I was struck um, yesterday by a number of things, but one of them is how many of your staff ride, repair, manufacture motorcycles? And and, and that's where there does seem to be something that's very on brand about, well, I'm surprised it wasn't one of your staff that was leaving that prompted the name, but it was a hospitality. Yeah, and- You know what? It's, it's funny. I think... What do you reckon the percentages of, of of motorcycles within the business? When you think if we've got if we've got nearly eighty staff again now, it, it's probably not as big, but it, it's but there's they're the they're the loudest ones, so they're the ones you're going to notice. It's yeah, there's probably point. twenty at least twenty people in the business that ride motorbikes, so that probably is high in in most yeah. workplaces. Let, let's talk a little bit about the the young Henry's culture because it's 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 one of the most from an outsider's point of view one of the most distinctive cultures uh that that, that, that there is in craft beer and when you see i think you had 30 or 40 staff here last night um all part of it and the genuine affection that with which that they greet each other um you know the the the, the warmth um i i I think there's the greatest concentration of overalls being worn in this little uh you know (laughs) sort of part but but there, there just seems to be a genuine affection and you know uh, spirit um, w- w- within in, in the staff, and I'm intrigued whether that was something you set out to create or something that it grew organically 
um, based on fit with the, the business? Or I think I'll put this down to so so Oscar and Rich kicked off the business. I came in um, quite a few months later, and I got to just be come in at a time when we all were here from the very start to the very end and the culture was formed at that point just by us hanging out and talking. Then when we started to hire people, I actually remember going to Oscar and saying, okay, I get this, but how do we pass on what we're all about? How do we make sure that every staff member um, comes on this journey from the, from the outset? So Oscar actually handed me a bunch of notes that they had created prior to um, Young Henry's even starting and I read these notes and, and they've turned into our statement of values um, to, to sort of use the, the sort of dorkier name. But it's, it's basically our brainwashing or branding notes that we go through with every single new staff member to just make sure that they are completely across what Young Henry's means, what it stands for. And they haven't changed. They're exactly the same. And, and, and so that's a really important thing. The step prior to that is making sure that every single person that we hire is a like-minded person. So so that early days led to everyone being very similar. What we've got better at is spreading the net a bit wider and making sure that we're, we're getting different types of people but are all like-minded in, in what they believe in, their, their belief systems, I guess. And and then culturally, that helps to, to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And I, I think that's a big part of it. Not only do we use those branding notes to sort of onboard people but we use we internally use them as a i guess a decision making tool when hiring people like dan would say we really focus on individual freedoms within our business uh everyone that we hire is allowed to be the person that they want to be so self-expression they play in bands they're artists they you know ride motorcycles they are into djing or art or you know we, we try to find interesting, creative people. And so many people say, oh, do you have to have a young a beard or tattoos to, to be a part of Young Henry's? Like, no, you don't. But you know what? If that's who you want to be, then fucking go for it. Because it's interesting you say that because as soon as – I've got two impressive beards sitting in front of me, <laughs> but that's not rich. Mine's better, right? And it's, it's not a lot of people. Right? Yeah. It's, it's an easy thing. It stands out. So it's an easy um, – thing to sort of put your finger on and go, oh, everyone has beards. Look, probably 50% of people have beards and because you don't have to shave. of females. You don't yeah. have to, you, <laughs> you, you don't have to wear a you don't have to wear a college shirt. You know, you can you can sort of turn up how you want to turn up. And that sort of um, individualism and individual freedom, it makes people enjoy where they are. They actually feel respected as a person. And it culture is culture is not we don't impart culture onto our people. We have to allow people to be a part of the culture. Culture is built by everyone believing in the same thing. Mm. And workplace culture is a really funny thing. We've we've always respected it. We've always loved it. We've always worked on improving it. We have never seen the financial value of workplace culture until the pandemic when we had to stand down all of our staff, um, except for I think it was 10%. Um, and those people were on reduced wages. It was a horrible thing to have to do, but it was just the financial um, decision that had to be made. And we did it at the really early phase where we, we were um, 
possibly felt like we were jumping a bit quick, but the fear of losing what we'd built, um, it was two weeks before JobKeeper had been announced. There was talks, as you remember, of, of something coming out, mm. but it was two weeks of everyone, most people being stood down and us having no answer as to what was going to happen, and that was freaky. But the reaction of everyone in our team was, we understand. If this is what we all need to do so that young Henrys can survive, so that we can all have a job at the end of it, whatever you need. And the amount of people that flicked Dan and I texts or called us saying, hey, that must have been really hard for you guys. Are you guys okay? Was mind-blowing. That was the most humbling and beautiful thing that I think I've ever experienced in a business sense. And the amount of people that just said, yeah, cool, we understand, we're stood down, but we're going to keep doing our jobs. And once we were able to start bringing people back on to 60% wages or then we got everyone back up to 80% and then we were able to bring everyone back to 100%, everyone just kept slugging. Everyone kept working and being respectful and ambassadors for Young Henry's. It was, it, it was amazing. And that the value of workplace culture and having a brand and a company that people believed in, they are the people that helped us rebuild the company. And, and that's what I find fascinating because there are industries built around creating a workplace culture. And any company that I've been in that has a workplace culture consultant basically has a cookie cutter workplace culture, you know, where there's there's nothing different in they're not distinctive and yet you guys have a very distinctive workplace culture where have you learned you know you, you, you talked yesterday <laughs> or in, in the first part of, of this about having to grow yourselves not just the business grow was that something that you've had to learn along the way and how have you done that absolutely i think if if you think about the how things were in the early days um, versus how it is now. It's a lot of listening. It's a lot of learning. It's it's making mistakes. It's all of us working too many hours and having to adjust that. You know, like I think um, it's following our gut. Oscar and I always talk about just following our gut. We've tried to get better as the stakes got higher of um, justifying that with maybe some data here and there. But really, all decisions were, were like, do we believe in this? Do we think it's going to work? And I don't. I kind of don't know the answer to your question, to be honest, and and I don't know if we could immediately replicate it in another industry or something else. I think it's just pure passion. Um, I think there's a couple of key things, though. One, you've got to be humble and approachable enough that a staff member can come and tell you when something's wrong. And I feel like we're we've gotten really good at that and all the managers within our business are really good at that if there's a problem people know we want to know about it and then all you need to do is fix a couple of problems and then people see oh wow okay we are important and and oh if, if there's a problem wow it will get fixed or it will at least get considered that's a i think that's a really important thing in in building culture is actually allowing people to feel like they have the agency to affect it and that's interesting because, again, as an outsider, I look, you know, when I want to come here, there's this very relaxed, accepting culture, but it is a high – people are just getting out 
you know, doing work. Even even yesterday, you know, when I was um, at the event, I stepped out to uh, reply to a phone call. I had beer in hand, as you do, and somebody straight away came up and said, oh, you can't have a beer out here in, in the <laughs> yeah. workplace, which, again, is one of those things you go, look, that's – this place isn't as loose yeah, as yeah, it looks yeah. on the outside. <laughs> yeah, it's um, And, yeah. you know, particularly like, for somebody who's a little bit repressed as I am, you know, <laughs> sort of looks at how relaxed this workplace is. But then there's obviously, you know, expectations of quality and attentiveness and, and those sorts of things, which would seem to be a really hard thing to, to, get, the to get the Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think, People work really, really hard here. They really do. It's amazing. They, they, and and I think they probably party pretty hard, you know, most of the time as well to balance that out. And and we certainly did in the first sort of. Oh, I mean, I'm nursing a nice little hangover right now, so it's probably still going on. But it's, I, I think it's getting that balance right, and I think yeah. people work harder when when um, you then all get together and and celebrate the wins. It's somewhere between we we run this business somewhere between a family and a high performance sports team, like it's and a it, band and a band. Actually, you know what? It probably yeah. is more like a band. You know, it, yeah. Actually, it is like a band. There is mutual respect. Everyone. You know, sort of like we have our genre. Everyone in the band knows knows what we're about, and everyone gets to feed in creatively. You know, like if Dan has a cool idea, it only becomes a great idea when everyone else in the company feeds into it, and it turns into a great tasting beer with an awesome, you know, with awesome packaging, a great marketing campaign. The whole sales team buy into it, and they're like, yeah, cool, we're going to hit up these customers. This is how we're going to launch it. You know. Um, and when that when that beer is launched, Dan's not walking around going, "Yeah, this was my idea." Everyone in the company is like, "How great is this beer we have yeah, created cool. together?" Um, and that's it's that combined ownership of any output, which sort of works in the flip as well. We have a great culture of honesty within our business, and if someone has a problem or someone makes a mistake, if they come up and say, "Hey, this has happened." It's no longer their mistake. It's our problem to deal with, and we actually fix things as a team. We're not. We're not sort of. Um, we're not witch hunters. We're not like blame. We don't have blame culture. If someone ever has an issue, they raise it, and we work out how to fix it as a team. And that. So it's sort of like shared wins and shared losses, and I think that's really important. So people feel within their workplace that, you know, they they're a part of any success and also if there is a problem that they don't need to hide it that we can all be a part of the solution and you mentioned quality and that is a big thing i think everyone's really proud um of working at young henry's because what we the output is of a really high quality i was going to ask you about that yeah you know for, for if, again for something that outwardly can be a little bit loose yeah. in, in appearance yeah. you've got one of the more impressive labs that i've seen and it's been interesting how many people have talked about that just in you know conversations. Um, right, you're talking about oh yeah, here's the lab and yeah. Yeah, this is what we do up there and yeah, wow, it's it's got to. That's I think early days craft beer um, lack of attention to quality is what was holding it back, and I think 
I think most beer companies, I don't get around to try as much as I used to back in beer snobs days, but I, all, most of the beers I'm trying now, the quality is really high and has to be. If we're yeah. genuinely as a, as a craft beer community is going to take away or grow the percentage of craft beer, the quality has to be really high. And, and we, we sign off, there's at least four, often five people, a couple of directors, brewers that sign off every single batch of beer. We, we, we're really strict on the, the quality Nothing element. goes into trade unless we have literally scored it, assessed it, signed our names to it, and it passes all, um, all testing, microbiological plating, and all specifications have to be within acceptable range. Otherwise, it doesn't go to market. So we're actually incredibly strict if if the brewers on a friday want to start kegging something and there's not a director on board they actually have to hold back kegging until one of us is there to taste it sign it and anything that scores under a 14 out of 20 like between 12 and 14 actually gets held up and a new tasting panel comes in and we actually assess whether something is good enough or true to style or um and anything below 12 will not get released. And thankfully, that happens very rarely. But even someone yesterday came up to me, one of our staff, he's one of the one of the logistics team, and said, like our staff get a little bit of booze to, to take home. And, and he took a case of Newtowner and he was sharing it with some mates and he just wasn't stoked with it. And he came up to me yesterday and said... Um, Hey, I've got this batch, you know, one six four or whatever it was. I actually think it was one six four. And he said it's just not tasting great. What's 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 going on? And so I I looked into it with our head brewer, and he said, yeah, interesting. It's three months old, so starting to not be super super fresh, but still, it's still fairly fresh. And we looked, it got a fifteen out of twenty, which Newtowner, you know, should be getting higher it's not it's a pass and none of us there's no faults it just you know a couple of little elements might have been lacking the, the the dry hop might not have worked as well and and it's interesting that how how passionate he was enough to come up and and i said well then chuck it out and go come and get another case it's he goes yeah but i give it to my friends i want them to I want them to be excited and, and, and he was worried that a 15 out of 20 might not get him excited. And back to Little Creatures days before this, everyone used to always say, especially the brewers, if, if you hand someone that beer and it's the first time that they've ever tasted Little Creatures Pale Ale uh, and we've carried this through to us, is that going to be a good enough beer that gets them hooked? And if it's not, then why are we releasing it? And, and I think if you think about every single product that goes out being potentially the the first time someone tastes your product, because if it's not good, it'll be the last time, that's for sure, especially now with so much option. And I, I would actually say that even a, a tasting panel, a, a Young Henry's tasting panel scoring something on average 15 out of out of 20 it's probably still a pretty fucking good beer. Yeah, 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 yeah. no, <laughs> like, totally. We beers never Very harsh get, on Newtowner, especially. Yeah, beers never get twenty out of twenty. Okay, there is always. Oh yeah, there is always a variable where something could be improved, and we actually track every um, every spec. We actually track it monthly. We have um, catch ups where we actually look at if any of the specs are trending. You know, like color, bitterness. You know ph um we actually monitor to see as seasons change you know sometimes 
on the back end of a hop season, we actually get um, less sort of utilization out of out of our dry hop. So, do we need to increase it? Some some years between February and May, we're upping our dry hop around ten percent just to get the same hop characteristic because the you know it's the back end of the the crop year. So it's um yeah. It's fun. It's fun having the you know we challenge each other on it when we're when we're grading. And it was cool the other day. Oscar and I and the head brewer and another guy were sitting down because two of us had rated a natural lager really high and two had not. And so it was great. We had like a twenty minute heated debate about why two people thought it was great <laughs> yeah. and two people thought it was okay. Yeah, it was and this, cool. This is a beer that scored at, like I think it was seventeen and a half average, and we literally was talking about twenty minutes. <laughs> so it's um. Well, I think it just says everything, doesn't it? It's we have a lot of fun where there's a certain image that is out there that we've put out there, not even intentionally. It's just who we are, and and people have run with it. People love it, and it's a lot of fun to do it. But really, the number one thing is the beer. Yep. If the beer's no good. Doesn't matter how many tattoos and beards you've got. It's not <laughs> yeah. gonna, you're not going to sell much, are you? Speaking of culture, one of the things that fascinates me as I look at the way that the brand has moved towards becoming a national brand, there is such a new town feel here um, in the brewery and you just see the, the brand everywhere around Newtown. So deeply embedded here. But at the same time, as you've grown, you've managed to use uh, you know, the, the leading contract brewers to, to scale up production beyond what you can do here. But you've still kept the same strength of brand as, as as you've grown and whilst it's identified as a Newtown brand and I think I, I can't remember exactly what you said but it's a very clear statement on, on, on the, the the packaging um, you know that there's no room for thinking that this may have come from Newtown if you're drinking in, 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 in the pack but even so you've managed to escalate that brand as you've had to you know, expand from this site. And tell me about where the culture and the values of the of the business have allowed that to it comes back to people. So we've we've got like-minded people selling our, our beer and marketing our beer in every different state. And we've found, we started by going into the areas that were probably most like Newtown, um, your Fitzroy's, Collingwood's, uh, Fortitude Valley, West End up there. And so, so that's the starting point. And just like we started here in Newtown and then grew out to be, you know, greater Sydney's more popular sort of craft beer the same thing has happened all over the country um took a bit longer in certain states but i i definitely put it down to the people um it, it, they're they're so critical and so the the key part for us is to always be um finding and nurturing these great people who give a shit about this what we do together all of us if you think about sort of i guess young henry's being a somewhat counterculture brewery if you go to a gig in Newtown and then you jump on a plane and you fly to Melbourne and you go to a gig in Fitzroy, you're kind of going to be seeing similar people, right? So the, I think what, what allowed us to take Newtown out of Newtown and grow our brand to a national, um, to being a national brand was we ignored geography and just focused on like-mindedness, like Dan was saying. Like, Okay, so we 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 love we love beer. We're an open-minded company. Where um, we love hospitality, we love music, we care about sustainability. If if that's the mindset of our people and people around here love it, surely there are going to be other people 
in Australia that care about hospitality, live music, and sustainability. So if you start looking for those people, they're fucking everywhere. <laughs> you know, like it actually that that change of mindset was what allowed us to break free of the confines of geography and actually take our brand national. Is there a limit to that market? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Thankfully, if you ask anyone, 100 people, 100% of people will say that they like music. <laughs> However, a yeah, brand- I, don't, I don't think my Billy Joel collection is going to cut it though. <laughs> well, look, and that, that's exactly it, right? Then it comes down Could to genres. Honest, collab. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, don't go changing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, don't go changing. It's a 100% cascade. Pilsner. <laughs> 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 Look, but but you know, Young Henry's does have a sort of a genre. We do yeah. have a niche, and the beautiful thing about the craft beer industry is that we aren't trying to appeal to everybody. You know, there are craft beer as a percentage. You know, what is it like? Nearly 10% of total volume of beer. You know, roughly. So we already know that we're not trying to appeal to everyone. So that's kind of freeing in a way. It's like, yeah, you can be niche. Stand up for what you fucking believe in. You can be your own company and other people will like it. And you know what? Not everyone will and that's okay too. Mm. But if Furphy can do what it does and 150 Lashes and Coopers, there's still a lot of room. It's, yeah, there's, there's a long runway there, which is, you know, will take as many, many years. And I'm conscious that this is going to be a major double album. Um, yeah, <laughs> much much more than a concept album. But um, the you, you talked about when COVID hit and pubs shut down, that that really hit you guys hard. You know, it must have been a very stomach tightening uh, moment to make those decisions. But that would also seem to be a reflection of how strong you are in 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 the pubs. Um, and and one of the things you often hear talked about is how effectively you guys play the contract game um and, and no element of criticism but you know if you go back 15 years when talking about craft beer is going to be a, a revolution it's one of those things that was once seen as uh you know the, the opposite of craft that craft brewers are having to to embrace now i mean how hard is it to you know play that game and you know is there soul searching or is it just well this is the industry that we operate in well we we have a thing that we call the YH way so it's it's always trying to adapt a business practice that suits us as a business and us as people so when we do when we do contracts with um, you know hospitality venues partnerships partnerships we um, it's actually about mutual benefit. So, yeah, you know, it, it's actually having an agreement with a customer and saying, what's important to you? This is what's important to us. Where, where do we meet? And the longevity of a partnership will always increase benefit to both parties. And if you, uh, if you're both actively trying to increase the value of a product within a venue isn't that like that's good business you know and we have incredible relationships with so many of our customers we actually so many of our customers are friends now through these mutually beneficial um sort of partnerships and you know in covid so many of them ignored their 
big contracts and looked after us and, of course, other independent brewers. But they looked they looked after us like friends do. And so, it's... I honestly feel that our partnerships are... It's... I, I talk about them proudly. It's not a dirty word. It's... Do you know what? We actually do things trying to help other people's businesses and they, in turn, help ours. It's how it should be. I think we were worried that at that point we were having a lot of local um, mates around here had venues that were doubling down with us. I thought, okay, this could just be a geographical thing. And then all of a sudden from the Queensland team and the Melbourne team, we were hearing exactly the same thing, that that venues were opening and when they were first reopening or they were going to do growlers for a little while, it was us. They were they're saying, look, let's help each other get through this thing. And and that was, that was amazing. When we're talking about how um, the culture of our staff really shone through during COVID, it, it was also um, the strength of our partnerships and, and the fact we've all come from hospitality, so we really do understand it. Um, and we're nimble and we're able to adapt, and I think all those things have helped us that's, get to where we are. That's an interesting point. I actually think, I think that the, we have a good culture within our customer relationships as well as we do within our team. You're right, oh, we are cool. Yeah, I appreciate how much time this has been a bit of an epic uh, conversation. Is there anything, Young Henry's, that we haven't talked about that you know in in telling that we've deliberately? We're about to launch a non-alcoholic seltzer. (laughs) (laughs) No, we are not. It's called soda water. (laughs) That is the most consumed tap beer downstairs, isn't it? The soda water. I love the uh, Hop Valley hop water that the guys up on the sunny coast are doing. It's it's great. So yeah, Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, look. is there anything that, that we haven't that to really understand? Because we deliberately haven't gone back and sort of done how did you get into this? Because every article has concentrated on that. But is there anything, Young Henry's, that we haven't touched base on that is important to understanding the Young Henry story? I think we're um, we're growing as people, and our brand is expanding, and we are um, interested in a lot of things like sustainability, and and as are a lot of people, which is cool. It's something we're going to be doing more in, but really. The everything we've talked about is is what's true to us as people and therefore the brand and that's what we're most excited about and it's I think now that the the fog's lifting a bit I think we've got a really busy um, twelve months at least ahead of us to just focus on getting everyone back in the groove and and that's staff and customers. Um, so I think anything, if there was going to be any grant breaking changes, it won't be for the next five years, I'd say. So I'd say it's, um, you know, we have a lot of fun. I can't wait to get back into music festivals and, and doing a lot of cool things that we did before. That's going to be a lot of fun, but I think there's, um, a little bit of sort of grafting and hard work to be done again before then. Well, guys, thank you so much for being so generous uh, with, with your time to have this chat. It's been a long time coming. And thank you for having me for the, uh, for, for the, I won't say the launch, but the, uh, welcome to core. Uh, yeah. Welcome to core. It's, we're not going anywhere yeah. for, uh, motorcycle. Yeah. No, Roll, thanks rolls so much. Off the tongue, yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks so much, mate. It's great to have you. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. And that was Oscar McMahon and Dan Hampton. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Crime Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Crymalt is dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and they are our premium podcasting partner and they're proud sponsors of this conversation about beer.